Hey there, green future growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And let's get growing. Welcome to the Organic Gardener podcast today. I am just thrilled to introduce my guest. So, um, running the um, organization Arrow, which is like I've talked about several times. So it's alternative energy, renewable Oh my gosh. <laughs> Alternative Energy Resources Organization. Um, and so I know if you've been listening to my show for a long time, you heard about, I talked a lot to um, Robin Kelson, took me to my first Aero convention. That's where I met the amazing Patty Armbruster, who has her own fan club on my show. And I keep telling her we should make t-shirts and so many other great guests there. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the new workshop today. And we're also going to you know, go through kind of the regular questions. So I'll be quiet and to tell us more about himself and his garden journey and all the great things they've got going on at Aero this year is Brian Moody. So welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks for having me, Jackie. Well, we're super excited to have you here. So go ahead and tell listeners a little bit about yourself. Are you a Montanan? Are you from Montana or what's your story? So I, I grew up in Wyoming, uh, just a little bit east of Yellowstone in a little town called Matitsi. And uh, when I was growing up, my, my dad and mom were, were pretty avid gardeners, um, which looking back on it is pretty impressive now because, you know, I think all throughout the Rocky Mountain West, we have challenging gardening conditions, but especially there in the, the Bighorn Basin in Wyoming, um, early and late frosts uh, and lots of other challenges. But you know, I definitely remember growing up and eating fresh carrots and peas from the garden. And I think that had a pretty big influence on me throughout my life. But uh, so, yeah, grew up in Wyoming, uh, moved around quite a bit. Most recently, before moving back to Montana last July, I lived in Flagstaff, Arizona. And, um, you know, while down there, kind of gained a whole other perspective on farming, gardening, especially meeting and interacting with uh, indigenous folks down there, especially Navajo and Hopi people uh, in and around Flagstaff and kind of learning about how they farm and garden. Um, and so, yeah, have kind of a variety of experience. I've never had my own farm or kind of garden business, but in a lot of different contexts and situations of gardened and landscaped and yeah, have a whole whole set of experiences. Awesome. Well, I am so excited to hear all about this. I worked on the um, Blackfoot Reservation in Browning in northern Montana. I don't know if you know where, if you're familiar with that, where that is. So um, super exciting. And I do find that there's challenges in the Rocky Mountains. But let me tell you, I was sitting in my garden last night thinking this place is just so incredible. And we are so fortunate to live here because... We one big bonus is we do have a lack of bugs. <laughs> like it's I've been true. reading about people with these giant mosquitoes all over the place, and we have our share of mosquitoes, but nothing like a lot of things. And then the number one question I constantly hear um, from listeners, especially we've been doing this big challenge, which I'm gonna. Um, well, this show probably won't be posted for a while, even though it's August first, but I'm gonna release the uh, winner today. 
of this contest we've been having and people have been entering their biggest garden challenge and pest seems to be coming up over and over. And I know a lot of guests I've talked to, whether here in Montana or in the Northern part, talk about the fact that our winters are so cold that they kill a lot of bugs is a big perk. So, um, and I'm sure Arizona has its whole other set of challenges. So excited to hear about all sorts of these things. So you already kind of told us about your first gardening experience. So what did your parents grow organically? Like, is that how you learned how to grow organically or was it something else? Yeah, I don't know that my parents, uh, my dad certainly grows organically now. I, I don't know if when I was a little kid, if he was using organic practices, I'd have to ask him about kind of the practices he was using then. But yeah, I just remember toddling around the, he was in retrospect, really nice because, you know, my brothers and I would be playing with our, our Tonka trucks and our matchbox cars in between the rows of vegetables. Uh, and then, you know, just grabbing carrots out of the ground and peas off the vine. And um, yeah, and just remember, you know, to this day, if I smell dill, it still brings me back to that time, too. Um but yeah, he had a, a nice, nice garden plot. We kind of lived in a really, we lived 15 miles outside a town of 300. So uh, really, really rural upbringing. And um, I don't know if he was using organic practices, but, uh, but that certainly had an impact on me and, and you know, has always kind of stayed with me and informed kind of my whole adult life. <laughs> Uh, I just love that. The memory, especially like our dill is just thriving this year and it smells so good every time you rub by it. It's kind of like leaning over a walkway. So you do that a lot and just, uh, I hope like listeners are thinking, well, I hope my kids and my grandkids, cause I always say like, even if your kids are resistant, especially when they're teenagers, like don't give up and keep being passionate because a lot of my guests have said that they remember being in the garden with their parents or their grandparents is like kind of what led them down the track. Uh, yeah. I just have to ask really quick, like, are you a millennial? Like, were you born between 1980 and 1995? I am. I was born in 1985. Awesome. So I, I think I'm, I'm firmly in the millennial generation. Uh, because I, I'm like actually writing a book about, um, the rockstar millennials that I've interviewed on my podcast. So cool. Well, I, I, cause I love them. I just think they're one of the best generations ever. Although I'm really starting to fall in love with this Generation Z that's coming up next. <laughs> and my yeah. granddaughter who just graduated high school and just some of the stuff she's talking about, I'm like, wow, well, that's great to hear. She's really passionate about a lot of things. So, um, But anyway, yeah. do you want to tell us about something that grew well this year? Or if you well, want to say I, something about being a millennial, go for it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that first to talk about millennials, I think I'm glad to hear that you are, are kind of in love with the millennial and younger generations, because I think that oftentimes they, they get a bad rap. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think that I think that kind of the, the context that we've all grown up in as millennials and younger, I, I think that we have a unique perspective. And I, I also get really inspired whenever I you know, meet kids in high school now or middle school now, I, I think uh, they seem to be really sharp and they, they seem to just kind of get it. And uh, when I, 
one of the things I got to do when I was in Arizona was work for a small nonprofit called Terra Birds. And they run the community gardens in Flagstaff and they, they do gardening at the elementary schools. And then uh, they're based out of an alternative high school. And so at that alternative high school, we gardened with kids that often came from tough circumstances and were at the alternative high school because of challenges that they had, you know, that made them not a good fit for kind of the, the regular school system. And um, there were certainly tough days working with those kids, but then there are also, you know, just incredibly inspiring days working with those kids. So I, I do think there's a lot of hope with kind of the younger generation. Um, yeah, just wanted to say that, that it's, I'm glad to hear that you uh, feel good about the, the young people because <laughs> so often they get a bad rap. I know. My mom's like, I'm sick of you talking about the millennials, but I'm like, mom, you don't understand. These poor kids get such a bad rap and people are always bad mouthing them. And it just frustrates me to no end because the ones I interview, you know, they're not these lazy. It kind of all started. It's funny because this guy on Facebook, like he's like, Jackie, every time I hear you talk about those millennials, I think of this video and there's this video on Facebook out there, this guy singing from, um, like Obladi, Oblada, like the Beatles song about the millennials. And he's like, Oh, they're just sitting around in their yoga pants and they want to make a million dollars from their laptop and they're just lazy and yada, yada, yada. And the people I talk to are like the most passionate, hardworking out there doing like labor, you know, woofing out and, and, you know, working on farms for very little money and just passionate about caring for the environment. And I'm just blessed. And I did talk to Reagan Emmons, who also worked at the Terra Bird School Gardens in Flagstaff. So I'll replay that interview for my listeners if they haven't heard that. But, um, yeah, and I just think, you know, like, so I wrote my own one back to them. And then I've been talking to um, a publisher. She sent me, like, she's like, well, you need to, like, do some research and have, like, the actual stats, I think, to publish if they were going to publish my book i don't know it's it's like i've been working out but i've been like compiling like i think i've talked to 70 something 75 millennials and then i finally met two down in missoula who were born because i need the years 94 and 95 um people that were born and i met some millennials down at the missoula farmer's market that are gonna do an interview with me from that range but yeah and i've met a lot of millennials who are like i'll read that book (laughs) because um because, like I said, they do get this rap. Like, even, like, what is it in that movie? I love the show, The Newsroom. But he's like, you're the worst generation, period, ever, period, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, he badmouths them and just... I I totally disagree. So, and also, like, I, I'm a little prejudiced, I guess, because my stepdaughters are millennials. And, like, I, I do have to give a big shout-out to the parents of the millennials out there. Because I think that helped. But... I think, you know, they, you know, they grew up in this generation of technology and, and I love technology because look here, I'm getting to talk to you and all the great people that I've talked to and the cool people we connect with. So, um, anyway, I'm glad to hear that you're finding that. And then this summer I've been working with a bunch of high school kids and, and it's been interesting. I got to say some of them are, um, they, it's just a different, uh, perspective (laughs) but at least one of them that i'm working with has heard of greta thunberg and he we have some pretty deep conversations and just uh yeah it's fun so anyway tell us about something that grew well this year 
So I'm having good luck with golden raspberries. So uh, just moved into, so we moved back to Montana in July. We're in Helena. And um, so it's been really fun to sort of build out a garden at the house that we moved into in September. And um, kind of going with the, the food forest approach. You know, we don't get... Uh, you know, the best place to garden and the place with the most space is on kind of the the west side of the house. And there's a lot, there's some big trees on the south side of the the lot. And so there's this one spot that gets pretty good sun, but still, you know, maybe at the height of summer only gets about six or seven hours of sunlight, which is still pretty good. Um, and so rather than trying to grow a ton of veggies there, I'm going with kind of the uh, shrubs and small trees and, um, have had good luck so far, the best luck so far with golden raspberries and the other raspberries seem to be getting well established, but, um, and look like they might produce this year, but, uh, I'm really excited about the, the the golden raspberries. Um, and then I'm also, so I had a friend visit who still works at Terra Birds, and he brought up a couple elderberries that they grew down there. And so I just got those in the ground. So those are still getting established, but I'm excited for next year um, when those elderberries maybe start producing. Oh, I love all of this because, and I know my mom's always like, don't keep saying I love all of this. But one thing that's been like kind of a theme this summer on my show is working with your environment, like Ellen Polishuk, I think she wrote a book called Start Your Farm, but you know, it still applies to home gardeners about, you know, really working with your land and looking at what your, your land can do. And so, um, that you're saying, this is how much sunlight I have. And this is the areas that I have that you're going with like kind of a food forest. And I, and then the other thing is like, I am not being very successful with raspberries. That was kind of my goal last summer was to get these raspberry canes in the ground and it's just kind of been a flop. They, there's like two alive out of, I think I planted six. And then my other big thing I wanted to plant were blueberries. And I got them in the ground, but they really need water. So I'm also thinking next year they're going to do better. But fruit's a big thing. Now, I just have to ask because I have spent quite, well, not quite a bit of time in Helena. But like, I want to write a book about Jeanette Rankin. And she, well, I did write a book about Jeanette Rankin. But uh but maybe I want to write a book about Denise Juno. That's it. And she lived in Helena. And so I walked all around Helena when I was there for a um, teaching thing, uh, like a workshop and, and like really looked, took a lot of pictures of the houses. So like, are you like up in the old section, like in the Northwest or I don't, maybe I'm not sure what direction it be. Maybe it's the Southwest. That's, you know, kind of by the Capitol or are you like out of town or like, what part of Helena? I just have to ask out of curiosity. So a lot of my listeners are in Montana, so they might know. Yeah, so we're we're kind of tucked up against the South Hills, uh, a few blocks kind of south of the Capitol. Nice. Um, That's a really nice. And, so those are kind of like older, historic, like cute little homes, right? Yeah, our house was built in 1910. Um, nice. And yeah, we really love our neighborhood. Feel really fortunate to have found a house in that neighborhood and uh we can act the trails start right out our back alley and um so get the dogs out for a walk out in the hills and um yeah it's just a great nice quiet neighborhood 
Um, and, and yeah, so it's a lot of fun living up there. Nice. I love that section. How perfect. So Helena is a really cool place. And if you're going to, um, it, in Montana, I think to live, like if you're going to live in a city, Helena is one of my top choices. Are you having big fires? Do you smoke? So there was a, it seems to have kind of calmed down now, but there was a big fire north of town that was, seemed to be burning pretty hot for a couple of days. You could see the big smoke flume from town and, and, uh, and could see the flames. Um, but you know, it seems like the smoke is really dissipated. And I think that, uh, that that fire is not burning as hot anymore. I know there were evacuations for a couple of days. Um, and I, we've been getting these really kind of strong afternoon thunderstorms that come ripping in with 50, 60 mile an hour winds. And I think those have been sparking a lot of little fires. Um, but you know, as of this morning, it seems like things aren't as smoky and uh, intense as they they were kind of last week. Well, that's yeah, good this really... year. We've been like so lucky, knock on wood, that we haven't had fire season much this year. But I went to work down in Whitefish the other day, and that was the first time I'd really seen smoke and haze. And I heard that there's a big fire in Helena and then down in Missoula. And the rattlesnake, my favorite, one of my favorite places to hike down there. But anyway, back to uh, gardening. So is there something you're excited to try different next year or something new you're going to try? Let's see. I think that I'm just slowly going to, so uh, piece by piece, add to that uh, food forest that I've started working on. Um, another thing that I'm excited about, so uh, through my work at Arrow, I got a chance to team up with with uh, a couple that has a plot at one of the community gardens in town. Um, that's the Waukesha Community Garden out on the west end of Helena. And, um, so I, they're, they're folks that travel a lot. And so I, I help make sure that things get watered and, uh, my, my wife and our toddler and I helped plant out some vegetables in the spring. And, um, those plots are just really, really nice. And they're big, big plots. I would say they're, you know, at least 20 by 20, um, which is a pretty good size plot for a community garden. That is and, a pretty big um, plot. Like, how many people have a garden there? Like, 10? I would guess that there's probably twenty plots. It's a big, you know, it's it's about the size of a football field. It's a huge community garden. Um, I think it's been around for a long time, so uh, it seems like people have done a really nice job of of tending to the soil and building up the soil. Uh, and so I'm excited to continue to garden over there. Um, you know, we have had some luck over there, you know, kind of the stuff that everyone has good luck with, you know, we've grown a ton of kale, ton of chard, um, had good luck with peas this year. Um, they didn't get, didn't seem to get munched too bad by, uh, by the bugs and the bunnies. Um, and then excited to see how the potatoes do. We have a, a couple good rows of potatoes over there, too, that seem to be growing pretty strong. 
We just had our first potato dinner, la not last night, but the night before of Mike's homegrown potatoes. He's chomping at the bit because he's been complaining about the potatoes we buy at the store, which I thought was so funny because the guy at work last night was complaining about the potatoes and he was just like, ah, these black middles. So uh, it's really nice to be growing potatoes. And, you know, we had a hard time with uh, chard and kale and our beets this year. Our Mike's beets, I've never seen his beets. He's like, they're just not growing at all. So uh, mm. good to hear. We never even got our peas in the ground. I was telling Mike, I was like, why don't we try a fall crop of peas? But I think he thinks it's too late. They won't make it. Uh, yeah, it seems like I, it seems like it's been kind of a challenging year for a lot of growers and that it was so cool for so long that it seems like things took a while to get get established i know here that you know until july we were barely above 80 we didn't I feel like we didn't really hit 80 until july yeah uh, we had lots of cloudy days lots of rain which was awesome and i loved it uh but it, i think it made the gardening year a little bit slow um, yeah, it's curious. I'm curious to see what's going to happen this fall. Like, are we going to end up with super hot September into October? Or is it going to be like even now when I came in here to start my laptop and get my desk set up, I had to like shut the window and I'm sitting here in a sweatshirt. Like I just had the window cracked because it's cool. And we had 37 degrees like last week, I think, or just wow. not very long ago. We woke up, we had 38 one day and 37 the next day. I like, I feel like I jinxed it because I got this tent to make me like this little outdoor bedroom this year because I get so warm at night and just, um, I've only gotten to sleep out there twice and both times I woke up at like two in the morning or something or midnight and came inside because it was so cold and just, uh, yeah, it has been a colder year and it was, Mike did a, we had a lot of, um, construction work going on in our house. We did some remodeling in our bathroom and kitchen, just right. It happened to be when Mike needed to do a lot of the spring work. So that was also it, but yeah, the cold, it was a long time. And then, yeah, then like you said, we got a lot of rain, but, um, some things are growing really well and, uh, yeah, always challenging. So, uh, do you want to tell us about something that didn't work so well this season? Well, uh, I'd be interested to know maybe your thoughts on it, but so I can't remember the variety of strawberry that's not doing as well. Uh, the, and maybe it's just the variety of strawberry. I was just looking at it last night and kind of puzzling over it. It's, uh, it's leaves are, are looking just kind of yellowish. They seem to be growing pretty well, but not really producing any strawberries. And the leaves are kind of like a yellowish tint. And I, I don't know what's going on with those. Um, they seem to be getting munched by something, and but none of the other strawberry varieties are getting hit in the same way. Um, and they're all in the same area, but just this one. So I don't know. I might be answering my own question to myself that maybe it's just they just kind of have yellowish leaves. But that's been an interesting thing to observe and try to deal with. Um, yeah, but and I think... So we, we planted out uh, onion starts at that community garden plot, and they've just never really gotten established. They're just kind of limping along, um, and they you know they might they might start perking up here soon with all this heat we've been getting. But yeah, kind of those have been my challenges. 
Well, that's so interesting. So I have no idea as far as like what's going on with the strawberries because strawberries have been something Mike and I have struggled to grow. And so it's funny. So this year, my goal was the raspberries and blueberries and then strawberries was supposed to be my goal for 2020. And I ended up getting three strawberry plants down at the Missoula Farmer's Market and put them in. And they were actually, they had strawberries on them when I bought them. And then they grew some strawberries and something ate them. Mike's like, you got to go pick those strawberries. And we went to go get them. Something had eaten them. Um, so I, and but I have heard from a lot of people down in Whitefish uh, where I work that this has been a great strawberry year. Um, so I don't know. I might like, I could put a post like in my Facebook group and see if anybody knows, or if you had some pictures we could see, but, and then on the flip side, the funny thing is like, we've never grown onions before. And last night I picked like a half a dozen onions for my stepdaughter and was like, here, take these home. And she was just drooling. She's like, I'm going to go eat these right now. Um, so we've had good luck with onions, but I, I almost want to say, did Mike plant those last fall with the garlic or he was asking me he's like so are these ready to pick right now and i i think they're ready they have like the flowers on top they're right at the thing and they just seem hard and just perfect and ready to eat um but uh mike's not a big onion person so that's why i gave a lot of them away i was like here you might as well take those because we're not really going to grow a lot here so i don't know if i helped you at all <laughs> <laughs> that's okay uh, yeah that's i the think struggle uh, with, my, with my show is that i'm not really the gardener i like to grow flowers and i i like to do things but then like like i'm gone 10 to 12 hours a day you know five days a week right now this summer and just like most nights when i get home i have all to do to go water it, or read in the garden if i'm making dinner sometimes i don't even get down there so uh, I don't know why Mike built our garden at the bottom of a big hill, <laughs> um, but he curses it as much as I do sometimes, but it's, uh, anyway, so yeah, sorry, I can't a, help you much there, I'm but so pretty... you're getting strawberries, maybe, because uh, people do talk a lot on my show about the difference between everbearing strawberries and then the other strawberries that just um, produce fruit in June. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that would make a difference. Yeah, it might. And I'm a, I'm a pretty lazy gardener in a way. And that's probably one of the reasons why I'm going with like the kind of berries and food forest approach is, uh, I, I kind of like to just wait and see. <laughs> so I'll probably continue to just observe them and hope that maybe next year when, cause they, I didn't get those into the ground until probably after Memorial Day, um, just had a low, had a late start with uh, kind of the long winter and then had to build the garden space. And so maybe it's just a matter of them kind of getting their roots established and all that. Um, yeah, because I'm the kind of gardener who will just sit and watch something for a long, long time and not take action and just wait to see if they kind of right themselves. Okay, I'm like, are we talking about the onions or the strawberries? Oh, the, the strawberries. We are. Okay. So yeah. did you, uh, where did you get your strawberry plants? Like, did you order them or get them from a local nursery or did, uh, like, were they big uh, I got them or from, smaller? I got them from a local nursery and they were, uh, I believe these ones were bare root 
strawberries. Um, and you know, again, being a lazy gardener, I didn't write down anywhere what variety they were. Um, and just kind of, they were sort of bare root strawberries and, you know, they've established and they've, they've put on a lot of growth. They have big fat leaves. So the leaves are growing a lot and they're actually sending out, um, I guess you'd call them like little, uh, what do you call the little shoots? Yeah. Runners. They're sending out runners. The leaves are growing well. They're just not, they're just not that kind of dark, deep green that you normally associate with strawberry leaves. And, um, they've, you know, there's probably six of them and I've probably had six strawberries, um, from those little, from those little bare root plants. Hmm. All so, right, I'm going to have yeah. to do some strawberry research. Yeah. Well, we're actually already at the part of the show I call getting to the root of things. So like, do you have a least favorite activity to do in the garden? Is there something you got to kind of force yourself to get out there and do Mr. Lazy Gardener? <laughs> <laughs> um, pulling weeds. Uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, there are certain types of weeds. I think one, one thing I've learned over the years is that every gardener has that one type of weed that they, uh, hate and they spot everywhere and just kind of, you know, just gets in their craw. Um, and you know, for me, this isn't as much about the garden. This is more kind of from my landscaping side of things. That's cheat grass. But then in the garden, like cheat grass isn't really a problem. Um, and luckily bindweed isn't, isn't a problem at like kind of food forest at home. But I would say weeding is the thing that I'm pretty lazy about. Um, and then one thing that's been kind of a transition kind of coming back to Montana is, and especially with those raspberries is, uh, watering. So, you know, one of maybe when you talk to Reagan, she talked a little bit about this, but one of the big aspects of terror birds that really kind of stuck with me is water conservation and, um, and planting varieties that don't require a lot of water and really trying to conserve water in every possible way. Like, designing your garden in particular ways so that rainwater drains into it, um, directing drainage from your house into your garden. Um, and so with the, with the raspberries, it's been kind of learning and being okay with watering a lot. <laughs> um, cause I, I, everything I've read about raspberries and I, I worked at cooperative extension down in Arizona. So have a little bit of a background in kind of the, kind of the conventional methods of growing. And, you know, when you read those little guides that Cooperative Extension puts out, they talk about how much water raspberries need. And um, so I don't know if it's something I hate doing in the garden, but something that uh, that I always think twice about, but watering a lot. And so uh, I've been trying to learn how to maybe water those raspberries a little bit more. <laughs> See, that's exactly my, that's why my raspberries are not thriving because we didn't really have a lot of rain. And then we got, and then I, it seems like it's just been raining all summer long. And we just are finally got like two warm, sunny days, like this week even, or like, it kind of feels like we've had like, you know, sun in the morning and then rain every afternoon. 
but it is still dry as a bone at our house. And like Mike spends an incredible amount of time weeding. And that's part of our problem is like having easy access to water right by the beds. So my listeners know I totally struggle with that. And then, yeah, the weeding, like, usually I say we don't get a lot of weeds because we do have the water shortage. And so if you only water the plants right at their roots, you don't, you're not going to get a lot of weeds in other places, but we're still like, I like last night I was going out, we have like quack grass that seems to just come up Uh, everywhere. I don't know. What did you call it? Cheat grass? Is that probably cheat grass? Yeah. So that's more, that's something that's more a problem kind of out, out in the rangelands and out in forests. It's a, an invasive grass that, uh, you know, it dries up really fast. And so it, it, it kind of increases fire danger. And, uh, I know from like a livestock perspective, most livestock won't eat it unless it's kind of the last, last resort. Um, and so it's, it's kind of a problem throughout the West. And, um, so kind of more from my like landscaping experiences and pulling bags and bags and bags of cheatgrass. Um, but it's not really a problem in gardens necessarily. And it's, and I guess the one advantage of cheatgrass is it has really, really shallow roots. That's one of the reasons that it thrives is because it can, uh, grow from very little moisture. And, but the, but the upside to that is that it has very shallow roots, so it's easy to pull. Well, that's nice because quack grass does not have shallow roots. Like one lady I was talking to was laughing. She's like, I think quack grass reaches like the roots go all the way across the city of Missoula <laughs> from one side to the other. The roots are so long. So on the flip side, what's your favorite activity to do in the garden? I think planting. So yeah, I love, uh, I love that just the possibility in the, in the spring when you're planting. And, um, you know, I think especially when you're planting shrubs and trees, uh, it's the same with seeds and kind of vegetable starts too, but I especially love that, that moment in the spring when you're, when you're digging holes, and planting trees and shrubs just knowing that you know that it's going to be there for decades and decades and um and i i enjoy the design process that goes along with that so looking at an area deciding where plants go and um arranging all of it and then getting them in the ground and watering them and just kind of sitting back and kind of imagining what it'll look like in a couple years um so i think that's my favorite part that whole every step of the process that goes along with kind of planting in the spring. Oh, I love that. So you were kind of talking about some low water tips that you learned down in Arizona. Were like, there any others that you want to share with people? Because speaking of landscaping, like I was just talking to um, a friend of mine who's living, she moved into a new house in December and her lawn was just like covered in dandelions this fall. And I mean, the spring. And then she was like, like now I was like so how's your lawn doing and she said it's just she's like it takes so much water she does have a huge lawn but just uh I don't know did you have anything else you wanted to talk about about that or things you can do that are 
Well, um, you know, I, I think the first thing is I'm just a, a huge proponent of of mulching. Um, and I know, you know, having grown up in a really windy place and having lived in windy places, I know that sometimes mulching can be a challenge, especially on vegetable gardens, because you put down straw and then you come back the next day and it's all blown. <laughs> it's all blown away. Um, but, wow, you know, we it, don't have that problem, but... Uh, yeah, you're definitely on the east that, side, so. Yeah, I think it's a little windier over here, and uh, you know, Wyoming is notoriously windy. Um, and then, you know, down in down in Arizona, we would get really intense kind of springtime winds. Um, it was kind of seasonal, and then it would be pretty calm otherwise. But yeah, big proponent of of mulching. Also, a big proponent of just spending the time and kind of learning your site. And um, thinking about where water flows naturally and kind of designing your garden or your landscape area to make use of kind of the natural path of water on your site. So thinking of your, your uh, property or wherever you're gardening as a watershed and um, having that inform all the design, design decisions that you make. Um, so yeah, mulch and then taking the time to carefully design your garden to, to make best use of water. Perfect. I love all that. Mike's been doing this mulching thing that he saw on Facebook the other day, Kelly Ware did, where he took, um, like around all of our fruit trees, he, he like soaked these, um, recycled newspapers that he got and then, laid them down kind of in a circle and then covered it with um, like four to six inches of this composted uh, dirt that we got. And um, I think that's going to make a huge difference this year. And just, he's always mulched with straw, like his big, like that's one of the things I was picking grass around my lavender last night. And like he had weeded the whole bed and he's like, all right, you just have to put some of that straw mulch down. It'll be perfect. And I wish I would have, because then I wouldn't have been picking out all the quack grass as much and different things last night. We have a lot of yeah, lambs quarter is growing. Oh, okay. We have a lot of those, which those are easy. They're shallow um, roots like you were talking about, your cheat grass. Yeah. And I'm a big, you know, in, in terms of like establishing new areas, uh, uh, something that I've, especially if you're kind of converting uh, old lawn or, or turf into a, a garden, is sheet mulching. And that's where you... Uh, put down cardboard and then compost on top of that and then a heavy layer of wood chip mulch on top of that and then you know what that does is chokes out the grass and then you know in a year or so you've got really healthy soil where, where there was once just kind of grass because um, I know that's a, a challenge that a lot of folks face when they you know they're kind of working at a new site is you know they just got tons and tons of grass and digging up grass is such a pain and often doesn't really work that well, but uh, I've had good luck with that sheet mulching technique too. Exactly. And that, that's what I kind of told her, like when I went and looked at it this spring, I was like, you should make like some perennial beds here. But see, this is the thing, like my, so I created this free organic garden course and like we built this workbook for people. And the very first chapter is all about like start composting your materials today. You are never going to have enough compost. Like Mike and I spent so much money on dirt and soil <laughs> and like, and that's the thing, like 
So I'm glad to hear that you uh, you agree. And yeah, mulching has been a big. Uh, I mean, soil soil health is the number one theme on my show. But mulching, I would say, is taking a very big um, second place. So because Megan King talks about that a lot, and she's one of the most downloaded people on my show. She has a website called the Creative Vegetable Gardener. Uh, but anyway, Brian, what's the best gardening advice you've ever received? Hmm. That's a good, I, I think one was, came out of a mistake that I made and kind of, you know, is another tip that I'd have in terms of how you design your garden. And it's to make sure that plants that need a lot of water are nearest the water source. <laughs> so, um, and kind of thinking of your garden in zones. So, having uh, the most water intensive plants right near your water source or right near your house and then have things that need less and less water kind of radiate out from there. Um, you know, I had an experience at a, a school garden where I planted a lot of delicate flowers way out in a hot area and they died pretty quickly. And there were a lot of, a lot of sad kids. And um, out of that experience, you know, I learned like, delicate plants that need a lot of water should be right by the hose <laughs> and and then you put your perennial plants that don't need a lot of water out on kind of the edges of your garden and um it's like a simple thing but um it's kind of informed the decisions i've made since there so again kind of thinking back to water and planning your garden around water that's excellent. I just released an interview I did with Scott Mann from the Permaculture Podcast, and a big part of what he talked about were the zones and, like, you know, picture your house and then, like, the first step away, what's going to be growing there, and then as you go a little bit further and a little bit further, and he kind of talked a lot about that kind of thing. And that is so true. I am always thinking about water because, like... The first six years Mike and I lived here, we didn't have any running water. We didn't even have water on the property. And then we dug a shallow well. And then we finally made the plunge and dug a deep 560-foot well uh, in 2013, maybe. So it's almost six years now. So for us, like even last night, I was just sitting out there like whining about moving the hoses and stuff because I was just so tired. Um, but then also like, oh, it's just amazing to have a sprinkler running in our orchard. <laughs> yeah, so, I bet, I bet you've we got have a... a, yeah, we have a lot of lawn for the fire danger too. Cause we have 20 acres of Christmas tree forest land. And so right around the house anymore, Mike is just, you know, creates more lawn and fire break. Just we've had a good year this year, but last year was scary. So, um, anyway, what um so i think that's awesome advice that's so sad the little kids and but yeah some flowers and so i've been getting more into just planting more perennials like last year the one thing we struggled with was like we i divided all my irises and i thought i was gonna have a million iris blooms this year and like nothing bloomed like none of the old irises bloomed where there's still a pretty big tight clump and like one one iris bloomed in each of the new beds i built like six new beds last year of irises and like one iris bloomed in them. So that was the only thing I have problem I have with perennials and I don't, it could just be the year. Maybe next year they're all going to bloom or I don't know. 
anyway, do you have a favorite tool that you like to use? Like if when you moved and you, if you could have only taken one tool with you, what could you not live without? I love the, the Hori Hori knife. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's one of my favorites. And I, I have one that I've left outside accidentally so many times. And so the, the wooden handle is cracked and the blade's a little rusty, but yeah, it just, that, that tool is great for digging little holes. It's also great for weeding and, you know, sometimes like, you know, cutting things. It's just a, just an all around great tool. But I also, I, I think the other one would be just a, you know, a pick, just a simple pickaxe. I like a lightweight one. Uh, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the big heavy ones. Um, yeah, those two, I, I don't know if I could choose, choose between those. We well, can tell you live in the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> yeah. How I'm also, about? Oh. I'm also super picky about shovels. So I, I, through my pickiness, I've learned that what I really like are the irrigating shovels that are straight, where the blade doesn't have that really kind of sharp angle to it. Um, where from the handle to the blade is just one straight line. And I guess that's particularly those are usually irrigation shovels. Um, yeah, I'm a real, I'm kind of a diva when it comes to shovels. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I could see that. I don't know if we even have one of those though. Uh, how about a favorite recipe you like to cook from the garden or eat from the garden? Uh, I love roasted root vegetables. Mm. So, you know, any combination of carrots, beets, potatoes, um, or, you know, other root vegetables. And, you know, I, w one thing I love about root vegetables is everyone has their different sort of spices or herbs that they put with them. You know, uh, we often will do sort of a, mm -hmm. sort of a curry and kind of curry spice root vegetables. But then I've had other folks that, uh, just do it in, in a million different ways. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, when it's fall time and you've got all those root vegetables and it's cool enough that you can really crank up the oven. Um, that's kind of my favorite time of year because, you know, right now, at least I know in our house, we, we kind of avoid using the oven, uh, during this time of year just because our house gets pretty hot. And so it's nice once it's cool enough to use the oven again and you can really start making things like that. I hear you. That sounds so good. And that's one of the things I love most about cooking with fresh herbs, because I feel like even if you use kind of the same herbs, like one night you're going to get an extra handful of thyme that's going to make it taste that kind of flavor. Another night you're going to get tarragon more. And just, um, I, I just love fresh herbs. So, and any kind of roasted vegetables are yummy. How about your favorite internet resource? Is there a place you like to surf on the web? Um, let's see. You know, one of the things that my, my short work stint at uh, Cooperative Extension, you know, the, I, I think there are a lot of things that I might disagree with in terms of kind of their promotion of conventional agriculture for the most part and kind of industrial agriculture. But if you can find resources about organic gardening from cooperative extensions, 
you know that it's been based in you know years and years of careful scientific inquiry. So I find that uh, cooperative extension articles are often really, really good resources. And I, you know, one state that I'm particularly fond of is, is I don't know if Minnesota just has, has its uh, act together, but I, I think Minnesota cooperative extension tends to have really good articles that often work pretty well for the Northern Rockies. Obviously I think we get a lot less moisture than they do, but um, they often, they often apply. So uh, yeah, if when you're searching for organic gardening resources, if you uh, see ones that are coming up from cooperative extensions, I, I guess I just like that you know that those those techniques have been tested and um, are from a, a reputable source. Uh, yeah, I like that. Some of, one of my recent guests talked about um, their cover crop, a, a cover crop oh. manual from, I think, the cooperative extension office that they said was just a must read. Uh, yeah, I, I think I know the one that that person is talking about. Um, and they, yeah, they, they do, they do produce really nice manuals. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> as a teacher, I always love a good curriculum manual. So manuals are pretty handy. How about a favorite reading material or a book or a magazine? So I, th I think my favorite kind of gardening book and I guess it's not specifically vegetable gardening but it's uh rainwater harvesting for dry lands um it's written by a guy who's based out of Tucson who does uh a lot of rainwater workshops his name is Brad Lancaster and um his work has you know really informed my thinking about water and about uh utilizing rainwater and snow melt um rather you know thinking of it as as the resource that it is instead of kind of uh i guess thinking in opposition to it so I, yeah i can't recommend that book enough and i think it you know it, it applies wherever you are not just in the desert um so that's that's a book that i always kind of return to cool i'm gonna have to check that out yeah. Uh, all right. Well, do you want to talk about the Aero workshop now? Yeah. You know, I, I think that I would probably get in trouble if I didn't talk about that. So I, <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, so uh, this October 25th through 27th is uh, Aero's annual expo. And this year, the expo will be in Bozeman at the MSU campus. And um, one thing I'm really excited about is the keynote speaker will be Dr. Ricardo Salvador. And he is a scientist from the Union of Concerned Scientists. And um, if you Google Dr. Ricardo Salvador or look him up on YouTube, he has some really great talks about food justice and food equity. And um, his main focus is trying to create a food system that you know serves all of us rather than just um kind of serves the wealthy and um so i think he'll bring a really kind of unique perspective to expo um 
And I think some really good, maybe challenging conversations will come out of that keynote. Um, and then there, the cool thing about Expo is there, there, there'll be a keynote address like that, but we'll also have tours. And this year, the tours will be uh, looking at all the efforts that MSU uh, Bozeman has made around creating sort of a, a farm farm to campus system. So they've done a pretty good job of bringing in local produce on the MSU campus. So one tour will be learning all about their different systems for um, interacting with local farmers and bringing in local produce. Another tour will be visiting different farms around the Gallatin Valley. Um, and then another will be visiting different businesses around Bozeman. And then finally looking at the last one will be looking at the relationship between Bozeman and the campus and how that kind of helps build a strong food system down there. So there will be tours. There's the keynote speaker. There will also be tons and tons of workshops that will teach sort of practical skills. Um, I think those workshops are still being decided in terms of what the specific topics will be. But, you know, there's always really interesting stuff. I know last year there was like how to – how to create lavender oil, how to process hemp, how to uh, build like a rocket mass heater. So there's always just really awesome practical uh, workshops there as well. And um, yeah, it's coming up relatively soon, late October. So um, tickets will, will go on sale kind of next week. So folks will be able to register for it. And um, it should be a really good year. Well, listeners, if you don't live in Montana, but you have ever thought about coming to visit, Bozeman is an incredible city to visit. And one of the things I love about it is you can go in any direction and get to a really cool recreation area pretty quickly. And then it's north of Yellowstone Park if you want to come up north. To me, closer to Glacier is a bit of a drive to do on the same trip, but um, you could definitely make it down to Yellowstone's like 45 minutes away, right? From yeah. Bozeman, do you know? Yeah, and then... it's... Go ahead. Oh, yeah. It's like 45 minutes to an hour, and yeah, it's right on the edge of the, the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. So, yeah, you can get into some really wild spaces really quick. Yeah, and then the Arrow Workshop is just amazing for meeting like-minded people and just, um, if you've just ever thought of traveling to go to Montana and also, like, you want to go to a great, attend a great workshop, it's just um, a fantastic workshop. So, uh Let's see. And so those sound like great workshops last year. I remember with the year I went with Robin, uh, there was really cool ones about like processing chickens and it was hard to pick where you were going to go and choose between the different speakers and the different classes that they had in different workshops. Anyway, uh, are you ready for my final question? I think so. Yeah. All right. So, Brian, if there's one change you'd like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? 
that, that's a big one. I, I can see why you asked if I was ready for it. Um, so, I, you know, I think that, you know, one of the biggest ones for me is people thinking about um, how resources are used right around them. Um, so I think that oftentimes we kind of go through our daily lives without thinking about um, how water is used or how uh, resources are used in the products that we use every day. And, um, you know, I think one of the great things about gardening is it kind of teaches you how the world works in a really sort of hands-on, direct way. And, you know, back to kind of how resources are used around you, I, I think that, you know, we really have to rethink how how our cities work and how the the landscapes all around us work. You know, I'm looking out the office window, you know, across at a big lawn and, um, you know, we, we use an incredible amount of water and, and fossil fuel based fertilizers and, and pesticides to keep these like immaculate green lawns. And, you know, that's something that could be converted into something that makes food or habitat. So I think that, um, just kind of starting where we are and rethinking how we use resources. Um, I, I think something is something that needs to change. I, I think, yeah, it's just really easy to kind of go through your day to day life and not think about that sort of thing. But, um, yeah. Fantastic. And I agree. And I hope, uh, that people are going to like, I feel like in the future, we're going to look back and be like, what were those people thinking? <laughs> and yeah. just, um, it's hard to imagine how, how we're all going to get there someday. But I definitely have hope, especially with all you rockstar millennials out there that like, I feel like that's one of the great things about technology is that this knowledge is spreading exponentially. Um, and that we are going to get there, but yeah, just even walking home from work last night, right outside of first, I'm like, whose property is this? There's one of those dang yellow flags. Like when I go to my mom's, um, in the suburbs in New York and I see all those stupid little yellow flags that say, don't walk <sighs> here for 24 hours. Don't walk your dog yeah. on this lawn. I'm like, oh my gosh, seriously, you're going to put a flag on your, like, you don't think you really think that it's going to go away in 24 hours and where's it going to go? It's going to go into your water. We're like, yeah. it's like people like have this disconnect that like if I'm spring something on my lawn, when it goes away, it's like, it's just evaporate. I don't know what they think. And just, and sure enough, there was one of those little yellow flags and I'm like, whose property is this that, you know, anyway, uh, Brian, well, do you have an inspirational tip or quote to help motivate listeners to reach into the dirt and start their own garden? Not that you haven't shared like a ton of golden seeds today. Like I just, I think listeners are really going to enjoy this interview. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's just start by, start by observing. Um, you know, I think even if, even if you're at a place in your life where you can't, build a garden or maybe you don't have access to a garden i think just start paying attention to especially kind of the native plants that grow around you and and how the geology of your area works and just start observing and paying attention to how things grow around you and how uh 
yeah, how plants arrange themselves out in the woods and um, kind of design your, your garden from that and, and think about what sort of plants grow really well in your climate. And, and when you do have an opportunity to garden, like let that inform what you decide to plant. Perfect. Uh, well, Brian, you have been just an amazing guest today. I feel like you just shared tons of golden seeds, things about like, you know, um, just like exactly like I was seeing Scott Mann talked about last week about, um, you know, really looking at what your landscape is like not going in and trying to change everything to like some idealistic view of what you have and like really working with the land that you have and, um, and then, you know, conserving our precious resources. Like I keep wanting to do this earth to apple experiment, like, or design lesson for like the people I work with and why I'm so passionate about saving the eggshells for the soil and like, you know, conserving water when we wash dishes or just anything that we do. I'm just constantly like, and there's like this apple thing where you like, you know, cut an apple into four pieces and you take three pieces and put them aside. And that represents the water on our planet. And then out of the one quarter you have left, you cut it in half. And that one part of it represents like, you know, glaciers and Rocky mountains and deserts and places that you can't leave. And so then you're down to this like one little quarter and then you cut it into four pieces and take a fourth of that fourth, which is, I don't know, somehow it comes up to like one thirty second of the apple and then you peel it. And the little peel that you have left represents our topsoil. And that's all we have that's good for producing farmland. And we really can't waste any of it. And then I think the amount that's like of the three quarters that is water, like 90% of that is salt water and water that you can't drink. And the only percentage that's fresh water, which is like what we use to drink and what we use to wash our clothes and what we use to, you know, bathe in and people are watering their lawns with, you know, and just, and then putting chemicals in with that. And it just, uh, sometimes I get so frustrated. So I think you've done an awesome job of, you know, um, what my listeners like to hear about, you know, in your garden, thinking about the, how to be sustainable, use sustainable methods. So anyway, tell listeners how to connect with you. So I th- you can connect with me through, uh, I think the best way is via email. And I think my work email is a great way to go about it. So it's just uh, B Moody, B M O O D Y, at aeromt.org, A E R O M T, like Montana.org. I think is a great way for people to get in touch with me. Awesome. And, you know, a lot a lot of what I talk about connects pretty closely to, you know, Arrow's mission and what Arrow has been about for the last 40 years. So I think it's always appropriate to lob gardening questions my way. <laughs> awesome. Do you want to talk about, like, did we even mention what is the mission of Arrow? And, like, maybe if listeners aren't familiar with it, do you want to just say something really quick about that? Sure. So, uh, you know, Arrow... Has, has like I said, has been around since 1974, and that name, Alternative Energy Resources Organization, kind of comes out of the early years of Arrow. Uh, the original founders wanted to uh, offer up alternatives for Montanans in terms of how to generate electricity. And in the mid 70s, there really was no information available to Montanans about how to install solar panels or wind turbines or any of that. 
And so they started the organization to help educate folks about alternative energy sources. And, um, you know, sometime in sort of the 80s, they added sort of a sustainable agriculture side. And um, Arrow's gone through a lot of changes and shifts since then. And kind of Arrow's newest focus is kind of really thinking of how alternative energy and agriculture come together. And the way that that works out is through creating strong community food systems. So working in communities to think about production, distribution, uh, and then d dealing with food waste and how you can all do that at a local scale. Because um, so much of our energy use in the, in the U.S. comes from producing and shipping food. So if you can create strong local food systems, you're also helping to deal with uh, energy use as well. So right now, Arrow is really focused on, you know, doing workshops and meetings and projects in communities to help them look at where their food comes from and how they can help shift more of that uh, locally or regionally. And they're and they're doing a great job. I'm so thankful that we have them in Montana and just the things that are going on here. Because, like you said, uh, a lot of fuel and transportation and things go into food. Nick, can I ask you a question about food waste? Does food waste mean food that hasn't been eaten or processed, like actually going in the garbage, or does it mean like like at the restaurant I work at, like, you know, we call off garbage cans full of, like, you know, the food that's left over on people's plates. Or it drives me crazy that they can even throw, like, although there's not as much waste as I would think, like, you know, carrot peels and potato peels and things like that in the garbage. And we do go through a ton of eggshells. And I wish I could figure out how to save the coffee grounds, like, but, like, what does food waste, or does it mean, like, food that just doesn't get eaten, that just, like, gets past its expiration and goes in the garbage? Yeah, I think it's all of the above. So um, there's food waste that comes from, you know, from the when you make food, you know, peelings and, uh, you know, the, just the stuff that doesn't get put into the dish that you make. There's also the food that's left over, uh, you know, in, in restaurants from meals, the food that folks don't eat, you know, the same thing with school cafeterias and hospitals. So all of those businesses and households, you know, there's sort of the food that we don't eat. Um, there's also the food that doesn't get sold in grocery stores or directly from farmers that uh, just, you know, maybe is damaged or is past its expiration date and so doesn't get sold. So food waste comes from that as well. And then there's also the food waste that comes out of sort of the commodity food system. So food that never even makes it to the market because um, because of the global commodities market. It just never makes it to the market. So there's a lot of food that goes to waste because of that. And so I think, and that's one of the, you know, the food system is obviously so complex that even when you start thinking about food waste, the conversation gets pretty complicated. But um, so yeah, it's sort of all of the above. Personal use, uh, stuff that's left over from businesses, and then food that never makes it to the market at all. And 
and you know there, there's lots of different ways to deal with food waste from you know feeding it to livestock like pigs and chickens to composting it um yeah okay cool well that definitely clears it up a lot more for me because i don't know i feel like maybe it's like been on tv i keep seeing this thing about we're wasting 40 percent of our food we're wasting 40 percent of our food and i remember bob quinn talking about it when i did an interview with him which listeners i'm about to post i know i talk about my interview with bob quinn and the other day i realized i haven't even posted it yet i still have some interviews back from february like i just think i just finally got rid of everything from january that i did uh, Anyway, uh, Brian, thank you so much for sharing with us today and just um, have a wonderful and hopefully I will meet you at the Aero Conference in October live in person. Like that's one of the great things I love about my podcast is like when I actually get to meet people in person at a meetup and just uh, take care and keep on rocking you rock star millennial. <laughs> you too. Okay. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening, and remember, grow local.